Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome in to the Jeff Andrea Show here on Wednesday, October 16th. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in. I got a good show lined up today. To begin the back half of today's program, I'll be talking about yesterday's announcement by Attorney General David Eby. He announced an agreement with legal aid lawyers who represent low-income clients. The two-and-a-half-year deal with the Association of Legal Aid Lawyers and the Legal Aid Society will ensure better access to legal support and more stability for lawyers who have been giving services at below cost. So I'll be talking more about that with a local representative of the Association of Legal Aid Lawyers. I'll also be joined by a member of the Access to Legal Services Committee to help break down exactly what this deal means. To end off today's show, I will be joined by Terry Mooring, the president of the BC Teachers Federation. With the school year now in six weeks to six weeks since the beginning of the school year, the union is warning that hundreds of positions still remain unfilled. The BCTF and its employer continue to remain locked in tough contract negotiations and have been underway since the spring. So I'll be chatting a little bit more about that to end off today's show. But the first half of today's program is all about the homeless. This week marks Homelessness Action Week, raising awareness of the issue. In a short while, I'll be joined by the organizers of Camp Out to End Youth Homelessness. It's looking to raise $50,000 by camping out, raising pledges and finding sponsors so that youth in our community can find a way home. That event will be happening on December 13th here in Kamloops, so stick around to get a few more details on that. But to begin today's show and sticking with that theme, I will be talking about an event that is taking place today in Kamloops. It's called Project Connect. To talk about what it's all about, I'm joined now by one of the event's organizers, Ty Helgeson. Ty, thanks so much for coming on the show today. No worries. No worries, Jeff. Thanks for having me. No problem. So uh, let's just start off by giving me a quick rundown of what Project Connect is all about. This is the third year from what I understand. So just tell me a little bit about this event and, and sort of why it's being put on. So actually, it's the sixth annual event um, <clears throat> hosted here in Kamloops during Homelessness Action Week. Uh, it's a resource fair for those in our community who are experiencing difficult times, um, and it's for them to discover the resources available to them uh, in our community that may be able to help in some way. Yeah, so obviously, uh, you know, given that the the homeless population here in the community, you know, they don't have access to necessarily things like, like Internet, and it might be difficult to figure out what services are necessarily available to them. So obviously an event like this really helps put them in touch with services that they may not know exist, or may, even if they do know how they, or that they exist, may not know how to exactly connect with them. So um, obviously this event is, is probably pretty critical in helping these people not only discover the services that they may not know are out there, but also find a way to actually connect with them and and take advantage of some of the things that are out there yeah that's exactly it like a lot of the people that work in this sector uh, do so because they really want to help people um, so once once our clients are able to make connections uh, the people that are with these agencies are really uh, really there to kind of push the process forwards and and help them in accessing the services so um, do you know how difficult it is? You know, have you ever spoken to any of the clients that take advantage of these services that, uh, you know, do they find it difficult to find out where these things are? Or, you know, are, is there outreach services that also exist to kind of help people discover it when there's not events like this going on? I mean, obviously this event obviously really helps um, 
helps to, to bridge that gap and make sure that they they have a, a, a way to find out more about these services. But I guess what happens um, outside of events like this uh, for, for these clients? Are they able to access these services in other ways besides this event? Like, is, is how else are they being told or informed about, about what's available to them? So I don't personally have any first-hand experience in, in trying to access any of these services. Um, my wealth of information on that topic is the lived experience community in our in our community, um, and there are uh, peer ambassadors. So there's actually a program called the Peer Ambassadors Network, uh, which is a group of lived experience people who uh, travel around uh, the North Shore and I believe downtown. Um, to connect with people who may uh, require some of these services and, and to provide them with guidance and to provide them um, sometimes with just a, um, an advocate. Um, as well as there are outreach workers with Ask Wellness, with ICS, uh, sorry, that's Interior Community Services, um, who are constantly out trying to help people navigate the, uh, the web of services in Kamloops. But um, that's, that's another benefit of this event is that those people who are out helping people connect, um, they can even become more familiar with the services and, and how to direct clients uh, by coming to this event and, and networking with some of the service providers. Yeah, that's a good point. So it's obviously not just for the people who need to take advantage of these services, but the people providing them as well, just to be more aware of kind of what else exists and, and be able to marry some of the, the products that they they offer uh, with, with other ones in the community that are providing similar services. So that's uh, obviously a, an important part of this as well. Um, you had mentioned this is the sixth year of the event, so I apologize for saying it was the third. I, I got my math mixed up, obviously. Um, so given the fact that this is the sixth year of Project Connect. Uh, I guess just can you tell me a little bit about how this has gone in past years and, and how it's evolved into year six and, and just sort of what, um, what you've taken from past years to make this event better as time moves on? Absolutely. So uh, in the past, uh, it was hosted at Spirit Square on the North Shore. Uh, that is currently in development to become housing units, so it is obviously unavailable to us now. Um, but every year we hand out uh, feedback sheets for guests and also for the service providers who participate uh, so that we can improve the event every year. Some of the feedback that we received last year after moving the event indoors for the first time was that uh, some clients may not be comfortable coming indoors to access the services. So uh, one of the ways that we've tried to improve it this year is by moving to a location that is, first of all, more central. Uh, we're going to be at the Alliance Church, so it's kind of right on the verge of the, right on the edge of the North Shore, close to downtown. Uh, but also we're going to have some service providers indoors and some outdoors. Um, and that way, hopefully, we can uh, allow everybody to access, no matter uh, whether they want to be indoors or outdoors. So, and uh, this event runs from uh, one to four or one to five. Is that correct? 
One to five, that's correct. Perfect. So do you have any idea how many people uh, typically come out to these? I know obviously it's probably grown year over year and, and as people become more aware of the fact that it is going on, they're, they're more willing to come out or, or just find it easier to, to attend. Um, I guess just any idea how many people typically would come out, for those seeking services, how many people who are seeking services would actually come out and out to this event and, and sort of learn a little bit more? Do you have any idea what your numbers might look like? Yeah, so it it is difficult to uh, kind of count how many people access throughout the day as there is a lot of kind of flow through traffic, people just stopping by and don't really leave any uh, trace of ever being there if there's no um, uh, feedback sheet filled out or anything. But uh, last year we did give away a uh, gift card to every guest, and so... Um, we gave away 130 gift cards last year, so um, I would approximate we probably saw close to 150 guests, um, and we're hoping to see similar numbers again this year. Awesome. Well, Ty, I think that's pretty much all I had for questions for you. Anything else you want to throw on the table before I let you go? Uh, just that the event is open to everyone uh, today, 1 to 5 o'clock, uh, at the Alliance Church on the North Shore there, so... Uh, feel free to swing by if you want to check it out. Awesome. Well, Ty, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. You bet. Thanks for having me. Awesome. That was Ty Helgeson with the City of Kamloops talking about today's event, Project Connect. And, of course, one more time, as he had just mentioned, uh, anyone is welcome to head down to the Alliance Church uh, this afternoon from 1 to 5 o'clock. Coming up after the break, I'll be chatting with Away Home Kamloops Society about its fundraiser campout to end youth homelessness. So stick around. The voice of your community, Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Here's Jeff Andreas. Welcome back to the Jeff Andreas Show here on this lovely Wednesday in Kamloops. I am joined now by Catherine McParland, Executive Director of Away Home Kamloops, and Aaron Krauser, past president of Aurora Rotary Club. Thank you so much for coming in, guys. Morning. Thanks for having us. So let's start by talking about this event that you guys have planned, Camp Out to End Youth Homelessness. It sounds pretty straightforward in terms of kind of what it's all about, but can you maybe provide a rundown of the event itself and sort of why you guys want to put this on? Sure. So this is the third annual event, and this was something that I just jumped on to help support because I think it's a great cause, but really it's Catherine and Away Home who's got this going three years ago. The idea is to give anybody who wants to be part of the camp out an idea what it's like sleeping outside when it's cold in the winter, which a lot of people, unfortunately, way too many youth in our city are experiencing. So it's a fundraiser, and this was a great way to get attention. Uh, so, Catherine, this is the third year that you've been involved, obviously, all three years. So can you talk about the, maybe the scene that people would see if they were to, to drop by on December 13th? You know, what, what does things look like when you walk by this event? For sure. So last year we had 56 people camp out, including four city councillors. And when you come on the scene, this year it's being hosted at McDonald Park, everybody will be provided a cardboard box. There's different propane fires throughout um, the park where people can gather, cook hot dogs, and have that sense of connection with community. We have all different types of people camping out, including young people that has lived experience of homelessness. And those conversations that are had across the fire can change your lives forever and really raise awareness of the realities of youth homelessness. And often it's not a choice. 
And and the goal is fifty thousand dollars, and that sounds you know, a bit of a lucrative goal to to me, just off the top of my head. But I mean, is that sort of indicative of maybe how crucial or big a problem youth homelessness is in our community? For sure. Last year, we had 75 young people on our housing waiting list that we were unable to provide housing for. We have a really innovative housing program called the Kamloops Youth Housing First Wrap Force. We have 15 organizations that get together bi-weekly, and we share information on the young people that are on the streets in order to provide the housing options they need and to provide wraparound support services that will help them transcend the streets forever. So yeah, definitely some good work that's taking place. So for those who do want to get involved, you know, help you guys achieve that goal of $50,000, how do they go about doing it? Do you have to be one to, to camp out? Or maybe this is a question for the Rotary Club as well. Like what, what should people do to, to help not only provide funding, but just to be involved in the event itself? The different thing that we're doing this year versus the last two years, if people go to Away Home Kamloops website, awayhomecamloops.com, they can sign up and be a camper. But the big thing that we've changed this year is we're going to invite everybody from the community who wants to be involved and even just come and have a burger and hear the stories because there are youth who have been on the streets that actually share some of their stories there. And that's what's the most impactful thing, in my opinion. Um, I'm blessed to be involved with a, a group of another 30 Rotarians that are community leaders that are like-minded and want to support Catherine and everything that Away Home is doing. But we want to get hundreds of people out, even if they're not all camping, so they can come to McDonald Park. Obviously, there's going to be enough space. Um, we'll have microphones set up. People will share, and we'll have barbecues, and people can have a burger and just hear what it's all about. I want to really quickly touch on what Catherine said, the rap force, because this is something unique to Kamloops, and it's absolutely genius. If you imagine a young person walking into any of those 15 organizations, a First Nations person, a pregnant woman, a uh, young person who just moved here from out of town, who's a male, everybody has different needs. So if they walk into any of those 15 doors, they didn't walk into a wrong door. Those 15 organizations, the RAP Force, hence the name RAP Force, they're all very well connected and they communicate with each other so they can place that person with whatever supports they need. And this is something that Away Home started in Kamloops and other cities across Canada are following that model. Because when you hear the idea, you think, yeah, of course, that makes sense. They should all be connected, so if they go into a place that can't specifically help them, they're wrapped around with some support and put somewhere else. This is something that started here, and Canada is paying attention to it. It's a huge idea, and it's being executed very well by Away Home Kamloops. Uh, so just to follow that up then, I guess you had mentioned, Catherine, uh, you know, how severe the problem is here in Kamloops when it comes to youth homelessness. I mean, how difficult is it for some of these people to get out of the current situation that they're in? And how crucial are programs uh, like the RAP service and even just the fact that you're raising 50000 to help these services exist? Uh, just how important are these services to helping people get, you know, improve their lives? And, and how difficult can it be for people to go about getting off the street? Mm -hmm. Youth homelessness is a significant issue. We conducted um, the first youth homelessness count in all of Canada. And just last year, we heard from 136 youth that said that they were without a home last year. We know that these young people may have not had prior experience of living independently. Maybe they're fleeing environments where they've been abused or experienced significant trauma, and they need the housing options and those supports that recreate family privilege for some of those kids who may have none. Many of the youth we serve have come through the foster care system, and they don't have those roots or community connections, and so the RAP Force really seeks to provide that for young people. 
We also create different housing options that meets the needs of youth where they're at. For example, we have Storks Landing for young moms that are pregnant so that they can keep their babies and prevent that next generation from experiencing homelessness. And when you're talking about account too, I mean, is that something that can be quite difficult? Because I know when you look on the street, we don't necessarily see youth, uh, a ton of them out there, you know, in cardboard boxes, in a park or whatnot. But that's not necessarily what youth homelessness looks like, right? They could be couch surfing. They could be, you know, there's a number of different things that they could be doing. Maybe they're just sleeping somewhere different day to day to day to day. So how difficult was that count to do and just, uh, you know, to get that accurate numbers just to really learn just how... Um, severe the issue is. For sure. So we know that's a snapshot in a point in time of the minimal number of youth experiencing homelessness. We developed innovative methodology such as partnering with the school district and surveyed all grade 10 students and really looked upstream for those hidden experiences of homelessness. A lot of youth that we work with are couch surfing. They may be staying in hotels, temporary residences, and a lot of young girls experience something that we've coined as the term survival rape. And this is where young people are having to trade sexual favors in order to have a roof over their head. So definitely youth homelessness is a hidden issue. And one of the key purposes of the camp out is raising awareness and having the community stand in solidarity with these young people who are without a home. Oh man, that's, that's a very difficult thing to hear and just... I, obviously, it's something we need to be aware of in order to help fix and address, right? So um, I guess just, uh, you know, looking ahead here at this event, and let's get back to, to, to the specific event here. Um, so uh, what, what should people do to, to get involved? I know you kind of touched on it a little bit earlier, but obviously you're trying to raise $50,000. You're looking to get sponsors and participants. Um, what, what should people do to make sure that they're a part of this? You can go to the Away Home Camloops website and you can also pledge different campers. You can see all the people that have signed up. Erin Crossard is our key camper <laughs> to date. Um, there's also an opportunity for businesses to sign up for sponsorship and we'll definitely recognize those businesses as champions in our community, as well as you can be a social media warrior and get the word out there. That's right. Just share or like the event, say that you're interested on the event, a camp out, it's just the Facebook event is camp out to end youth homelessness. And the other thing people can do would be simply come have a burger. If you don't want to do the rest of the stuff, last year the most powerful story was somebody sharing that they were a business person in town and they thought, you know, you see people outside begging for change outside the liquor store. This is Canada. Come on, get your work boots, get a job. Don't be a bum. People ignore mental illness. People ignore trauma and abuse. If you come and have a burger and get to actually know some of these people, it probably is going to personalize it and it's going to change your viewpoint on what's actually going on out there. And then you won't just be a, someone who's uninformed giving their opinion based on nothing. So come have a burger, October, sorry, October. That'd be pretty quick. <laughs> uh, December 13th, McDonald Park. It's going to be great. Help us end youth homelessness. Perfect. Well, Catherine, Aaron, thank you guys so much for coming in here today and sharing the story. I think it's a really important issue and, and hopefully we get a good crowd out on December 13th. Thanks, Thanks for so having much. us. You guys are awesome. Awesome. That was Catherine McParland, Executive Director of Away Home Kamloops and Aaron Crossard, past president of Aurora Rotary Club. Coming up after the break, a new deal for legal aid lawyers in BC. I'll be talking more about that after this. Opinion. Call or text 250-374-5345. Find us on Facebook or on Twitter at Radio NL News. This is Jeff Andreas on RadioNL.com. Welcome back into the Jeff Andreas Show, and thanks for joining me here on Wednesday, October 16th. 
Yesterday, Attorney General David Eby announced an agreement with legal aid lawyers who represent low-income clients. The two-and-a-half-year deal with the Association of Legal Aid Lawyers and the Legal Aid Society will ensure better access to legal support and more stability for lawyers who have been giving services at below cost. I am joined now by a lawyer with K-Law Office. He was also a part of the negotiation team and the Kamloops representative for the Association of Legal Aid Lawyers, Graham K. Graham, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. So let me just start by asking just how important it was for, for you who helped provide some of these services to get a deal like this done. Oh, it was very important. Um, there was the threat of uh, lawyers having to withdraw services completely, which we really didn't want to have to do for you know those who are at the, the lowest uh, financial um, income part. So um, legal aid uh, lawyers had not received an increase in what um, their firm is paid for about 25 years. So this was essential that um, we were starting to see a lot of lawyers uh, stop doing any legal aid work because the the pay rate was so low. And uh, so we probably will stop the bleeding of of, um, lawyers leaving. 25 years, that is a long time to go without any sort of real pay increase. Like, it's just, how, how difficult was it to get people to come in to, to, to think, even thinking about providing some of these legal aid services when you're, you're basically never looking at any kind of pay increase and sort of looking at a, stat, a flat line in terms of, uh, of income? I mean, that's got to be pretty difficult to even convince people to think about providing these kind of services. It's very difficult, and it has really come down to uh, small uh, firms or what we call sole practitioners who were providing it. Larger firms had stopped providing any legal aid uh, services quite some time ago because it just was not cost efficient to do so. Um, maybe just talk a little about the importance of providing legal aid services. I mean, people who use these services would have no other way to go about either, you know, getting legal advice or finding representation for themselves. Um, uh, it must be difficult to to convince people that uh, you know this is something to provide because i mean you know you don't necessarily get the uh the the glory that you know you might get for being a high profile defense lawyer or or, you know things like that so just uh, you know is it difficult to get people to consider providing legal aid services and just how critical is it to have that service available you know it the public doesn't think much about it until you get an opportunity to talk to somebody one-on-one and explain to them, you know, just who it is that we're representing. And these are the people who are on the margins for the most part. And many of them have uh, several challenges, um, not just financial. And when you start to explain to the public uh, that it is actually more cost-efficient to provide these people with a lawyer than for them to represent themselves, the public begins to understand how essential it is. And that's one of the key components of the agreement is really recognizing that uh, the provision of legal aid in this province is an essential service. And and do you have any issue convincing people that it is a you know not not the public but actual lawyers that it is a critical service to provide just for for them to actually offer it is that something that's difficult for for the the industry to see more lawyers getting involved in? Well, I think that for lawyers, there's lots of other more lucrative forms of of practice, and uh, you know we're looking at sort of three main areas. Um, we're looking at criminal law family law and immigration 
And in Kamloops, we don't do any immigration under legal aid. We just don't um, have that population to, to service. So we're really dealing with family and criminal law. And there's just so many other opportunities for lawyers out there that um, legal aid is not necessarily uh, front and center for them. Mm-hmm. Um, you had also talked about, you know, it's been 25 years uh, since there was any sort of pay increase, and there was um, some concern that, you know, these services might just not be offered anymore as a result of that, or, or withholding of service, if you will. Um, I guess, what concern would that bring to the industry if legal aid service was to not be provided? I mean, you would mention that it's more cost efficient for lawyers to represent people than for them to represent themselves. So, I mean, if these services were withdrawn, I guess just what kind of spinoff or what, what uh, reaction would that have within the legal services industry? Um, you know, what, what kinds of events would you see as a result of that? I mean, it would cause some chaos, I would think. Well, it would cause a great deal of chaos. We estimate that if a person represents themselves in court, that you're looking at double to triple the amount of time um, to complete a matter than if they had had a lawyer. In family law in particular, um, that's an area where it's really essential um, that people have representation because family law is fairly complex. You're looking at issues dealing with children, uh, usually, uh, so what we you know, think of as, as custody and access and child support and spousal support, imagine having to try and figure out all of that on your own, as well as learning all of the different court rules uh, at the same time. And it's pretty daunting. Mm-hmm. Um, Grandma, I'll get you out of here on this one, I suppose. Um, so you had mentioned that it had been about 25 years since there was a, a real change in compensation. Um, and this deal, from what I understand, is only two and a half years. So uh, given that fact, I guess, is there any concern that, um, you know, in two and a half years you're going to have to be restart this whole process again if it took this long to get this deal done in the first place? Is there any concern about what happens two and a half years from now? Not at this point. I, I think that uh, what we have uh, done is we've come together. We have built a framework for going uh, forward. I think that um, when you look at it at the overall agreement, which is actually three agreements, uh, not just one, uh, it is the building blocks uh, for moving in, in a positive direction. All right. Well, hopefully that... Uh that's, that holds true, and that positive direction continues to roll. Clearly, you've made it um, pretty clear here that uh, this service is very important, so obviously it's something that we want to see be made available to the public because obviously that's something that they need, and if it's going to save us money, that's good too. So thanks so much for doing this with me, Graham. I really appreciate you taking the time. You're welcome. Anytime. That was Graham Kay, local member of the Association of Legal Aid Lawyers. And here now to continue this conversation is a member of the governing board of Ventures of the Law Society and member of the Access to Legal Services Committee, Jeff Campbell. Jeff, thanks so much for taking the time. Morning. So, Jeff, let me just start, like, from your perspective. How, how critical was it to get this deal done? I mean, what was the situation looking like for legal aid service had this deal not been reached? Uh, this was... Uh in my view, this was a critical historic agreement. Uh, the legal aid system in British Columbia has been underfunded for decades, and this goes back many years to 2002, where there were cuts of approximately 40%. And just to give you an idea of what that looked like, um, back in 2002, legal aid in BC covered about 47,000 cases a year, and that dropped to less than 30,000 cases a year. 
Uh, so it was a significant drop in the number of people and cases that legal aid covered. Uh, it closed about 85% of the legal aid offices around the province. And the legal aid tariff rate, which is the fees that are paid to lawyers, uh, increased only once since 1991, and that was in 2006 when it increased by 10%. Um, but just to give you a comparison, the average wages of British Columbians as a whole increased by 62% since that time. So what this has meant is that legal aid lawyers make far less than other lawyers, and the number of lawyers that are able to take legal aid cases has dropped dramatically over the years. So there's fewer and fewer lawyers that have been able to take legal aid cases because they simply can't afford to do so. And that has been a real problem of access to justice for people around British Columbia because there are just fewer lawyers that are able to take these cases. And this can be a real problem, for example, in smaller communities where people have trouble finding a lawyer to help them with their problem. Yeah, so given that it had been so long, um, you know, to see that increase in compensation, obviously you had mentioned there was a number of lawyers who basically weren't even th considering providing any kind of legal aid service. So what does that do to the people who re really require that legal aid service, those who, who you know, can't afford to, to have a lawyer or just need that, you know, extra bit of legal advice? I guess just, I mean, does this providing or, or creating like long lines or, or just really making it difficult for people to have access to these services that some people really, really need? Yeah, the cuts over the years had really created a crisis, in my view, of uh, access to justice problem where there were few lawyers that, uh, fewer and fewer lawyers that were able to take legal aid cases. And uh, and so the, the announcement that uh, came from the Attorney General yesterday is really important news for people who are disadvantaged and vulnerable and people who cannot afford to hire a lawyer. Uh, the legal aid system in BC um, provides funding for counsel for British Columbians that have urgent legal problems and who cannot afford to hire a lawyer. And those people often include uh, people with mental health problems, people with substance use problems, people facing domestic violence, uh, people facing a loss of liberty, and legal aid is, is critical for those people in being able to access justice. Um, do you think that, uh, you know, with this announcement that was made yesterday that you will see more lawyers willing to take on uh, legal aid work? And do you think that, um, you know, that's something that, you know, given the fact that, you know, now it has been um, a change in compensation for the first time in quite some time, that it's at least something more people will consider? Absolutely. I think that there had been a real um, crisis of uh, at the bar with lawyers who were just find it increasingly difficult to do the, the, the important work that needs to be done. And the lawyers that I know that practice legal aid are, you know, they're not uh, doing that work to get wealthy or make a, a profit. It's not an area of law that pays well compared to other areas of law. The people that do legal aid do it because they feel passionate about the work. They feel passionate about helping uh, disadvantaged people. And it, it's, they don't do it for the money. And, uh, and with the rates that were paid to those lawyers were um, becoming increasingly out of proportion to what lawyers can make practicing other areas. And there was a real exodus of lawyers that were able to take on that kind of work. And I think with this increase that the Attorney General announced, um, you'll see more and more lawyers that are 
prepared and able to take on that kind of work, which is going to have a real impact for um, for the people that uh, are facing legal problems and are covered by legal aid in this province. I think it's also important to note that the agreement that was announced includes an agreement going forward to uh, to recognize the Association of Legal Aid Lawyers as an organization that the government can consult with and bargain with, and that there's a commitment in the agreement to negotiate on issues of uh, eligibility and coverage, and what that means is that there's going to be a series of talks in the coming months about uh, what legal problems should be covered by legal aid and who should be eligible. And so we're optimistic that that is also going to see some improvement for access to justice in this province. Yeah, definitely something worth following up on then in a, in a few months. Um, I guess just I'll get you out of here on this one, Jeff. I guess uh, I did had someone on earlier who wasn't too concerned about this, but just I want to ask your opinion as well. Um, you know, this deal or, or these three deals, I guess it is, um, you know, have about a two and a half year time frame on them. Um, given that it took so long to get this particular deal done this time around, is there any concern about what could happen in two and a half years' time? I'm optimistic, speaking for myself. I, th I think the government has um, has shown a, a real willingness to uh, to engage on a good faith basis on these difficult issues about legal aid and access to justice, and it's a very significant change in tone from discussions that took place with previous governments. Um, I think there's a real uh, um, interest in in tackling these these issues and improving access to justice in this province. And so, speaking for myself, I'm optimistic for the future, and I, you know, I don't see the the clock turning back. Uh, I think that uh, we're going to continue to see progress in the future. Well, Jeff, I hope that's true, and uh, we'll definitely be keeping an eye on this as things uh, roll along. But thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you taking the time. Okay, thanks for having me. Awesome. That was Jeff Campbell. Coming up, BC teachers continue to wait on a new deal as the school year is now more than six weeks in. I'll have more on that after this. You're listening to Jeff Andreas on Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Welcome back in here on Wednesday, October 16th. The school year is now into week seven, and teachers in the province remain without a contract. The two sides have been in talks since the beginning of the year, with the last deal expiring at the end of June. There is a media blackout in terms of negotiations, but I am joined now by the president of the BC Teachers Federation to talk about the ongoing situation. Here now is Terry Mooring. Terry, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, Jeff. Good to be here. So maybe just give me a quick rundown of how your members are feeling at this time. Is there a lot of frustration that a deal hasn't been reached yet? Well, I think our members knew this was going to be a bit of a complicated bargaining situation just because it's the first time we've been able to bargain um, our, our class size and composition language. Um, you know, so certainly we knew it wasn't going to be easy, and teacher bargaining in BC is never easy. Um, but certainly, you know, we're anticipating getting a deal and a good deal for teachers. Yeah, when when we had talked prior to the start of the school year, you had seemed pretty confident that a deal would be reached sooner than later. Are you surprised that it has gone on as long as it has so far? We were really hoping that we'd reach a deal before the start of the school year because we know the consequences when that doesn't happen. And so, you know, certainly we were hoping that would happen. That wasn't the case. We're in a mediated process now, um, and uh, and that's fine. Um, you know, we're anticipating uh, the mediator's report, and we'll go from there. 
Now, I guess, what are some of the consequences that come as a result of not having a deal? Like, I was reading yesterday that there's quite a few positions that remain unfilled as a result of not having a contract. So what can you tell me about the particular situation in terms of the number of unfilled positions and maybe some of the other spinoffs that come as a result of not having a deal done yet? Sure. Yeah, the teacher shortage really doesn't have anything to do with uh, about not having a deal. Uh, we've had a teacher shortage for a while now, um, and uh, you know it certainly is uh, complicated by the fact that we're not able to attract teachers from other jurisdictions in, jurisdictions in Canada because of our low wages and high cost of living. Um, so a negative consequence of that is that we have hundreds of uncertified teacher replacements working in our system. Um, it is at an all-time high. Uh, it is mainly in the more rural and remote regions of our province, which is um, makes it a, a geographical disparity for sure. Um, what we see, though, in more metro areas and South Island areas are uh, specialist teachers, so your counselors, learning support teachers, teacher librarians, um, get pulled from their jobs in order to fill in for classrooms because we don't have enough teachers teaching on call to replace teachers when they're away. And so that has a really negative consequence also of, uh, of denying students those services uh, when that happens. And that's sort of a, the regular course of action in a lot of districts because there isn't a district in the province that has enough teachers teaching on call right now um, to fill the needs consistently. But that's so, not... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, so I'm just saying it, this is a, a very significant issue. It, it's it's uh, been an issue for ever since our language was restored, um, and uh, so it, it continues. But that, like you said, that's not necessarily directly uh, a situation that's resulting from the fact that there is no contract. That's just sort of an ongoing thing that you guys have been dealing with. Yeah, and uh, and it's it's uh, certainly not not being improved. And uh, we've asked, you know, called on government to implement the uh, 2017 task force recommendations. So we participated in that task force with the other education partners, and there were a number of recommendations that came out of that um, that haven't been implemented. The government has increased the number of teacher education spaces and university teaching programs, which is really good and welcomed uh, under the former government under the previous government, those, um, the number of spaces had been cut, and so that, you know, was much needed, and so that will improve the situation, you know, somewhat in the long term, but we have, you know, short-term uh, problems to solve here, certainly with the teacher shortage. Um, are, are there any specific things that are resulting from not having a deal done, other than, you know, maybe a lack or a, a, a fall in morale amongst teachers by the fact that there is no deal done? Um, but, like, is there any other um, operational impacts that come as a result of that? Well, it just, uh, you know, puts a level of uncertainty in the system, as you said, for parents and, and families and teachers. And, uh, you know, it, that, that uncertainty is, certainly isn't good for anyone. Uh, so, but it's not, it's, it's not contributing to, um, you know, the teacher shortage or, or any of those other issues that are happening, but it certainly is something that needs to happen. Uh, you know, we expect um, to be able to negotiate, you know, a fair deal for teachers. And, and again, uh, we were certainly hoping that it would happen before this, but it hasn't, so we continue. Yeah. Any idea when the, the mediator's report set to come? Uh, it should be uh, in November, so that, uh, you know, we'll, we'll look forward to that. Okay, so I'll uh, definitely be keeping a close eye on that, and hopefully something gets uh, figured out here soon. Thank you so much for joining me, Terry. I really appreciate you taking the time. 
Thanks a lot, Jeff. Awesome. That was Terry Mooring, president of the BC Teachers Federation. Well, that about wraps things up for me here today on Wednesday. I want to thank all my guests one more time for joining me. And of course, a big thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening. So thanks again. And remember, whether you join me here for a short while or a long while, just know I enjoyed our time while it lasted. I'll be back here tomorrow at 9.